The scripture reading today is from Exodus 24, 1 through 18. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nehab and Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nahab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in the dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud, and as he went up onto the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rachel. Well, we're continuing our study of the book of Exodus, and two weeks ago we took a look at God giving the Ten Commandments on the top of Mount Sinai, and last week we looked at some more laws of love that God issued to His people as He constituted Israel as His beloved nation, and we continue that story still at Mount Sinai. Exodus 24. Before we take a look together, let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's pray together. God, thank you already for meeting with us. Uh, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us. You're, you're not a God who hides. You are eager to disclose your heart, your nature, your character, your redemption to us. Now, give us eyes to see you. Give us hearts to love you, to receive you. Give us lives that are wide open to you. God, we want you 
to come near and to speak to us. Wherever we're at, whatever we most need to hear from you, even if it's unexpected, not what we want to hear or expect to hear from you, give us life and be our God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Years ago, when Paula and I still lived in Providence, Rhode Island, we'd often go over to the home of Paul and Nancy Chelman, dear friends of ours in our church who would often really just welcome us into their home like family. Uh, they'd feed us dinner. Uh, we'd talk and laugh for hours, and we would play with their little dog named Sparky. And one day, after a year or two of this wonderfulness, week in and week out, spending time together with our dear friends, their daughter Sarah, who was about our age, made a sort of confession. Sparky wasn't actually their dog's real name. It was Duke. And she explained to me, we, we felt bad for you, so every time you'd come over, we'd call him Sparky. Uh, but when you're not around, he's Duke. And I said, so your dog has two names? Well, that's kind of unusual. She said, no, 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 really, he only has one. His name is Duke. We just kind of made up Sparky uh, when you started coming over. Now, fast forward to last week. I was on a Zoom call with a bunch of folks from our church when someone's dog started barking. One of our members, Elizabeth Schaubert, apologized, no big deal, barking dog, but when the barking wouldn't stop, uh, Elizabeth felt like she had to call the dog by name to try to get him to stop, get his attention, at which point she paused and said, uh, okay, our, our dog's name is Duke. And she tactfully explained, I was looking for the right time to tell you. Okay, so you know, now I have a dog's name, and I'm ready to go out to go get a pet hedgehog and name it Elizabeth. My name is Duke. What's your name? Now, that's a question that we ask a person when we want to get to know them. Maybe that's a question that somebody asked you just a few minutes ago. I hope that was the case if you're new to us. Earlier in Exodus, God reintroduced his name to the Israelites, Yahweh. I am who I am. Don't name your dog that, right? I am who I am. It was an early signal that God intended the Israelites, indeed the whole world, to know him by name, to know him personally. Think about that. The God of the whole universe invites you and me to know him personally. And that's what this scene in Exodus chapter 24 is all about an invitation to know God and to relate to Him personally. In fact, there's a key word that we find in this passage that sort of unlocks the meaning of the entirety of it. It's the word covenant. In verses 7 and 8, we see references to the book of the covenant. 
and the blood of the covenant. Here at Mount Sinai, God is making a covenant with his people. And now he's finalizing it. He's formalizing it. Uh, this entire scene, in fact, is actually a covenant ratification ceremony. Uh, you might have heard the notion from time to time, whether if you've been in the Christian faith or you're new to it, you might have heard the notion that the gospel is about a personal relationship with God through Jesus. Well, that's shorthand for a much more profound and complex reality, and that's that reality that we're talking about right now, a covenant relationship that God establishes with sinful, unworthy people, but beloved people like you and me. Uh, but, but, but hold on, you might be saying, you're getting ahead of yourself, what is a covenant? Well, in the ancient world, a covenant was something like a binding legal contract, kind of like what we're familiar with today, an apartment lease or a phone plan with all those terms and conditions. Covenants also served as treaties between kings and their kingdoms. And they were also not only legal arrangements, they were incredibly relational too. That's why the Bible actually talks about marriage as being a covenant. God here is establishing an incredibly special kind of sacred bond with his people. It's called a covenant. And there are five things that this passage teaches us about this covenant relationship that the God of the universe invites us into. Five things. It's a mediated relationship. It's a promised relationship. It's an accountable relationship. It's a two-way relationship. And it's an inten intimately and intensely personal relationship. Let's take a look at those. First, a covenant relationship is a mediated relationship. And by mediated, I, I mean that there are two parties that come together and one person stands in the middle as, as a negotiator, as it were, as a go-between to make the relationship work. A mediator, which is exactly the role that Moses filled. Notice how Moses is given special access to God. He gets to go close to God in a way that no one else is allowed to. In verse 2, God says Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others, referring to Aaron and the priests and the elders, the others must not come near and the people may not come up with him either. You see, covenants were between unequal partners and parties, and if they were, they would require a mediator. Again, that's what Moses was, a go-between. And that's why we see him go up Mount Sinai to talk to God, and then he goes down from Sinai to talk to the people. Then he goes up to talk to God, and then he comes down to talk to the people up and down and up and down. Several times in this passage, his quads must be burning, doing all that hiking up and down this steep hill many times. What does this 
tell us, this mediated relationship. Listen, God is holy. God is God. He loves us dearly, but we are not his natural peers. This is not a natural friendship. You know, like, hey, yeah, we, we're like soulmates. You know, me and God, we, we just finish each other's sentences. No, 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 no. We are not natural friends. It's not a natural friendship. It's a chosen one. It's a relationship that's initiated by God. Years ago, my family and I had the opportunity to get a tour around the West Wing of the White House. Uh, a wonderful joy and privilege just to look around in the office area and to see these sites that you really see often in photos and TV shows and, and all the rest. And we were afforded this privilege, this gift, through a friend who knew someone who was on staff of the White House at that time. And some of you might have gotten such a joy as well, touring around the West Wing. And it occurred to me as we were standing there right in front of the president's desk, of course the office at that point was empty, but it occurred to me I have no right or reason to be standing here in this office except for this one person who's giving us the tour, this person on staff. He was the reason and the only reason why I could stand there. In other words, he was the mediator. There was a massive gap between myself and the president, and the only thing that could bridge that gap was an individual who could usher me into the presence of one whose presence I was unworthy of, so to speak. Without that mediator, surely someone wearing dark glasses and an earpiece upon seeing me, a stranger, roaming through that office would have tackled me promptly. Listen, we have no way and no right to be in a covenant bond with God, the God of the universe, a holy God, except through a mediator and the good news of the gospel is that Moses was just pointing forward to our true mediator. Hebrews 9 calls him the mediator of the new covenant. Uh, the apostle Paul calls him the mediator between God and man. And of course, they're talking about Jesus. He's the one that gives us access to a holy God. He's the one that not only gets us into the oval office of the king, so to speak, but actually brings us all the way in to the couch in the living room of the king. Because he's the one that makes us not just a guest, he makes us family. Do you know this covenant relationship that requires a mediator more than that? Do you know this mediator, Jesus. Secondly, it's not only a mediated relationship, it's a promised relationship, a promised relationship. Uh, you don't just get to drift in and out of a covenant, any more than you just get to drift in and out of your apartment lease or your phone plan. There are terms and conditions to this relationship and you make promises to keep them. 
And that's why verse 3 tells us when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. It's a promised relationship. And it's promised on both sides. The people here give their vows. They commit themselves to holding to this relationship. Uh, You say, well, where was God's end of the deal? Well, he made promises before everything even started. We heard that in Exodus 19. He said, I was the one that redeemed you out of Egypt. I I set you free out of slavery. I brought you here like on eagle's wings. I I called you my treasured possession. I loved you. I set my love upon you and chose you out of all the nations in the world. See, God had already said his I do. Now the people were returning the favor with theirs. A covenant relationship is a promised relationship. And that's good news, friends, because what that means is we have a God who has drawn near to us, who has forgiven our sins in Christ, who has bound himself to us, and who now cannot break a single one of his promises to you. Hallelujah. He's a promise-keeping God. And that gives us great assurance because we live in a world of fickleness, don't we? People are just sort of dropping in and dropping out, ghosting you relationally or just showing up like you're to receive them overnight. We live in a world of fragile relationships where you live perhaps around people, friends or family, walking on eggshells, not sure whether you're measuring up or whether you've done enough. You see, covenant is why God's love is trustworthy and true. Not only because it arises out of his character, it's simply who he is, but on top of that, he's reinforced it even further with verbal promises and vows. He he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I can only do good to you. I will always be for you and not against you. And you can believe him because his love is never changing. And because his love is ever faithful. And because his promises are unbreakable. Because he's a covenant God. And that also means for us that we can understand that when we come to God in this relationship, in our worship service, for example, this morning, that we can understand that we are actually engaging in covenant renewal when we are worshiping Him. You might have noticed in the very top of the passage, we're told in verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, you are to worship. In other words, as we talk about covenant relationship, we need to understand that part of what's going on here in Exodus 24 on top of Mount Sinai is something like a worship service. 
So when we do what we're doing here on Sunday mornings, we need to understand we're not here for a show. Uh, We're not here just for a spiritual quick fix. Uh, We're not here just to see our friends, though that's an important part of it. We are here for covenant renewal, an exchange of promises and vows where you get to hear God say loud and clear through his words, through our songs, through different means, you hear God say again, just like I said in the beginning, I love you again. He's renewing his end of the promise, and now it's your opportunity to come back and say, yes, Lord, I love you too. I give myself to you too. Last year, one of the great joys that I had was being able to uh, 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 officiate a sort of second ceremony for the then still relatively newlywed couple, Tyler and Elizabeth Bowen, who had the joy of being united in the exchange of their wedding vows in the beginning of the pandemic. And I think I've spoken about this before, but this unusual and yet dear and special time when we were on video, well, no, we were in person, standing there, being led through this ceremony, Tyler and Elizabeth dressed in their suit and gown and ready to go and exchanging their vows, and me with the privilege and joy of leading them through this ceremony, but it was just us and a few others, whereas a whole crowd was watching on YouTube, It was a year later, which was last year, that they said, let's do this again. And we decided what we would do is not get married all over again, but make it a covenant renewal ceremony. They would be renewing their vows, this time surrounded by friends and family in a sanctuary. And so we went through the same words, the same vows, the same promises that they had already exchanged, but we said, let's do this afresh and anew one year in. And what we also said that day was this is precisely what God invites us to do every single week. When we come back together in worship, we are renewing our vows before God. We're refreshing ourselves by His grace, yes. Yes, yes, we are looking for strength and wisdom for life. Yes, yes, we are. Yes, we are looking to gain and benefit from this time. But friends, if worship is covenant renewal, then that means first and foremost, it's what we're giving to God that this time is most about. Giving Him your renewed promises, giving Him your renewed love, your renewed affection, your renewed will, your renewed worship. In other words, when we just kind of bail out or flake out, when we don't actually come to God each time, when we don't worship as God has called us to each Sunday morning, we're sort of, well, leaving God at the altar. He he wants to hear you say, I do, I still do. And it's exactly what he deserves, a renewed commitment a renewed reception of his grace and of his love because the relationship he offers in covenant is a promised relationship. Thirdly, it's also an accountable relationship. 
closely related to the idea of a promise relationship is the very clear understanding that we don't always keep our promises in this relationship. You might have noticed, what's the deal with all this blood all over the place, splashed on the altar, sprinkled all over the people? I mean, this day on Sinai, it must have looked like a crime scene. Well, the blood which came from sacrificed young bulls symbolized the punishment you would receive if you failed to keep the terms of the covenant. And that punishment was death. This was a very common practice, again, in the exchange and ratification of covenants in the ancient world. And God was simply using the ceremonial rituals that were familiar to ancient people in that time. A covenant was a blood-sealed relationship, solemn and serious, saying, I will be so true to the terms of this relationship Cross my heart, hope to die. You know that old expression? What is that? That too is basically a vow of this is punishable by death if I break the terms of this relationship. God takes it seriously, and so should we, because we are called to be in a promise-keeping relationship, but let's be frank, we break our promises to God and to one another all the time. I mean, friends, maybe you struggle with the notion of sin, the Bible telling us that we are selfish at our core, that we fall short of God's law of love. Maybe that idea of sin is hard for you to grapple with. Maybe this can help you. How much do you actually keep all your promises? How how faithful are you to your own word, even just your own word? The things that you say you will do, whether directly or indirectly, the the things that you say that you'll follow through on, and yet you don't. We don't. We're promise breakers, aren't we? Can we be honest about that? God says the penalty of this in his covenant is death. It's punishment. It's separation from God. We need to know that there is a God who actually sees us for who we really are, and yet, at the same time, He's a God who forgives us again and again and again. How do we know? Because the blood that splashed on the altar and on the people, guess what, is blood that He assumes upon Himself. He knows exactly who He's entering into this relationship with, people that He knows will disappoint who will prove to be unfaithful, who can't and won't keep their promises, and yet he says, there are penalties to be paid for this unfaithfulness. I will pay that penalty. Do you see this God? He he says, take that blood and, and splash it upon me. I will be the one that will incur all that one who is unfaithful to these terms deserves. Splash that blood upon me, he says, and more than that, let it be my blood that's splashed upon you. You see, because this is where we see an incredible picture of the death of Christ. His blood shed for our sins on the cross. 
The people on Mount Sinai say, and we say, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. No, we won't. No, we don't. Self-serving sinners that we are, we could never hold up our end of the covenant, but the amazing grace of God, the amazing grace of the gospel is that God himself fulfills our side of the deal for us because we never could. God steps into our shoes and fulfills the terms of the covenant on our behalf, literally steps into our shoes, which is why the Son of God came as a human being in flesh to walk the life that we should have walked and then to die the death that we should have died. Jesus was the one who said everything the Lord has said, I will do, and he obeyed it all, even to the point of death. Jesus is the true bull of sacrifice, the true substitute, the true source of all our forgiveness. It's the blood of Jesus that enables unfaithful people like us to be in a relationship with God. And so, of course, this season, being Lent, it's a wonderful time for us to actually take moments throughout our day, throughout our week, to consider our sinfulness. Now, you might sound, say, that sounds a little bit morbid, but the idea here is not just to see our sin, but through our sin to see the joy that is the gospel to see the light of Christ in light of the darkness of our own lives, to see our need for the grace of God because we're so convinced of our deep sin and selfishness. Will you spend time this Lent season over the next six weeks examining yourself, considering the ways in which you desperately need God's help, desperately need God's forgiveness, desperately need God's life? Because if you do, I promise you, this Holy Week, when we get to Good Friday and rejoicing over the death and resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday, you'll have an occasion like one you've never had before. You will know the forgiveness of God like you've never known it before. You will know the delight of the gospel like you've never experienced it before. Covenant means God has died for us in order for us to be in that very relationship with him. Will you consider his atoning blood? Will you let it give you peace in your heart? Some of you are saying, yes, of course I know this, and you're ready to move on to the next point. But I mean, will you drink of that fountain deeply in a way that actually finally quenches your thirst? Uh, what I mean by that is many of us live day by day with uneasy consciences and unsettled souls. It's why maybe you're living day by day sort of feeling guilty or feeling unsettled with shame. Maybe it's why you're always apologizing even when you don't need to or why you're always nervously trying to make up for wrongs, even ones that you haven't done. It's maybe why you have trouble sleeping at night or running yourself down into a pulp, right? Grinding yourself down because your mind and your soul is always running, running, 
running. Beloved, do you know the grace of God in the blood of Jesus that gives you at last peace? The peace of God that transcends all understanding. But we need to move on to the fourth point. Because what we have here in a covenant relationship is not only a mediated relationship, not only a promised relationship, not only an accountable relationship, but fourthly, a two-way relationship. A two-way relationship. You had to have noticed in this passage how much of a back and forth there is. Again, we talked about Moses' quads. The guy is running up and down the mountain constantly because he's delivering messages back and forth from God to the people, to the people, from God to God, from the people, and back and forth who knows how many times. Covenant relationships are dialogical relationships. It's a conversation between two different parties, two people. There's a back and forth rhythm to the way that people in covenant relate to each other. And this is important because you see, that's what we know real relationships actually ought to look like. A genuine exchange between two parties. Not just a one-way relationship, but a two-way relationship. Not just a one-way conversation, but a two-way conversation. Some of us live with a kind of self-centeredness, even in our spirituality. That we kind of sound like that old joke about that person who says, oh, but enough about me, let's talk about you. What do you think about me? Where even your prayers with God can sound like that. Oh, God, 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 let's talk about you. Okay, God, so how much do you, me, 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 me? Is there a genuine exchange, a two-way relationship that you are cultivating with God? I mentioned prayer. It's worth examining the dynamic of our times of prayer with God. I wonder if we need to cultivate more of a posture of sitting and listening. Uh, but, 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 but that means praying can be me not talking. Every healthy relationship ought to have times of listening, yes? So also it's true of God. To sit in silence, to listen to His Spirit, to listen to His Word, to be in God's presence without having to only be the only one talking all the time. I wonder how this might fine-tune the way you might pray to God. I think this back-and-forth two-way relationship idea also helps us understand our worship service as well. There's a dialogical way in which a good, healthy worship service actually is arranged. It's why there's so many different elements in the service, right? We have a call to worship, then we respond to God in prayer. We sing a song, we confess our sins, we hear God assure us of our forgiveness, we respond to Him, we sing some more, we listen to one another, we pray to God, we bring ourselves to God before His Word, we respond to His Word, we receive from the table. What do you see there? Covenant. Back and forth. Back and forth. Back and forth. It's a conversation 
that we are having with God. It's a conversation. And it's why there are certain traditions in the Christian church that have done this better. A genuine call and response dynamic that I think is essentially covenantal. You see this in the African-American church. You see this also in some immigrant churches like the Korean church, where there's a readiness to respond even vocally and certainly in your heart. This is the way that God intends our worship to be the exchange of vows, the speaking and listening to one another, the call and the response. This is covenant worship. Lastly, I want to bring this to you and we'll finish up with this point. An intimately personal relationship. Covenant relationship is intimately personal. God invites you and me to draw near to Him. I mean, we see this simply in the number of times that God invites Moses to come. Verse 1, verse 9, verse 12, verse 13, verse 15, again and again, come to me, come up to me, come up to me on the mountain. And Moses met with God. You notice the ordinary Israelite couldn't do that. Even the priests and the elders could only go halfway up the mountain But don't forget, Moses points forward to Jesus and all that he would do for us. And that means if you are in Christ, you and I get to go to the top of the mountain. Jesus gives us access to the penthouse. Do you understand? He brings us all the way in. This is how intimately, personally, God intends to relate to us. But there are more things that we need to notice about this passage. Did you notice that stunning moment in verses 9 through 11? Moses, Aaron, the priests, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel were told in verse 1, they went up to God and they saw God. Uh, We don't know exactly what it was they saw. We do, do know this was an extraordinary moment because you're not supposed to be able as a sinful person to see God and not get fried. It's why the text specifically says in verse 11, God did not raise his hand against these leaders, though they saw him. In other words, he was like, yeah, that stood out to me too. They somehow were given an extraordinary, exceptional moment where they were enabled to peer into the face of God. What was it that they saw? We don't know. One thing we are told is that they saw uh, sort of a glass floor underneath God's metaphorical feet, lapis lazulia, which is sort of like a sapphire-like stone, blue as the sky. In other words, it's a glory that was not only radiant, but beautiful, stunning, breathtaking beauty that they saw. And the word that's used here in the text is not the normal Hebrew word for see, but one that might be better translated, behold. They fixed their gaze upon him. You see, the invitation of a covenant relationship isn't just simply to know God at a distance. 
but to be able to press in up close and personal so that you yourself with the eyes of your heart can see the living God. Right now we do so by faith, not with our physical eyes. One day when Christ returns, we're told we'll be given the privilege of seeing him fully, face to face, literally, and even with our eyes. A shocking hope and a shocking promise, how close God draws us in. But that's not all. What else did they experience? Not only did they see God, the end of verse 11 again, they saw God and they ate and drank. They got to go to the coop with God. They got to go have a drink with God. They got to sit down and laugh with God and eat with Him and, and, and share good times with this God. Uh, guys, this is what God invites you into. Not just religious experience. Not even just forgiveness of sins. Because, you know, there's a way in which you can treat forgiveness almost like God is inviting you just to take a couple pumps of the hand sanitizer, clean yourself off real quick. God wants you all the way in, at his table, sitting down together with the deepest, most intimate kind of fellowship and laughter and exchange of lives that you have experienced. Yes, you have in human relationships. Multiply that by infinity, and that is what God offers to you a meal, a sit-down time of exchange, which of course was an act of friendship in the ancient world, which itself was a covenant-making ceremony. If you ate with somebody, you could never again do wrong to them. And it was an amazing commitment. And one of the reasons why sharing of meals was, was so bonding, covenant-making in the ancient world was because it was one of the few places where no matter where you were in society, high or low, a huge king, a little king, a person that had nothing to your name or a big name in town, you all sit at eye level. You all see each other face to face. You all exchange your lives and your hearts as peers. God wants to dine with you. And so it's no surprise at all that Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, and I'm just waiting for you to open the door and let me in. And if you do, I will dine with you. I will feast with you. I will be with you. Which is why one of the high points of any Christian worship service, covenant renewal ceremony, is a meal, a feast. That's the Lord's Supper, communion. And it's our joy that starting next week, we'll be able to bring back the fullness of, of real bread that you can taste more fully and, 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 and feel the presence of God even physically. And, and larger gulps of, of wine and Listen, God has blessed us with these packets and you're welcome to keep using them for your own safety if you'd like. But for those who want to venture forward, we would love for you to continue to approximate the feast that God has actually offered to you. 
drink that you can taste, and, and bread that you can enjoy so that you can know that God sits at a table and invites you in. Do you know that invitation? Are you ready to commune with him in that way? And of course, it's a model for us in the way that we're called to relate to one another. One of the best ways in which we can rebuild relationships, especially in a time of recovering scarcity in the pandemic, is to more and more, as you're comfortable with, invite people to your tables to feast, because that's how God generates bonds, not only with himself covenantally, but with one another covenantally. We need to be eating together to be God's covenant people. We need to exchange implicit vows. You're at my table because I give not just my food, I give you myself. And a person that sits, that receives it, and gives themselves to you as well. And you sit even with the diversity of whoever God leads you on your heart to invite to your table, Lord willing, a grand mix of different people as Jesus has called us to, that whatever your stations in life, whatever your different backgrounds, you know by the grace of the gospel, you all sit together at eye level. God makes you brothers and sisters in Christ. You are one, and you are in covenant with each other. Do you see the delight that this can be? To live in light of Christ's covenant. To worship in light of his covenant. To pray to God in light of his covenant with genuine exchange. To see Christ as indispensable as our mediator because of God's covenant. Do you see how seeing God and his redemption in this way opens up new horizons of joy and gratitude and life? Will you dare this week to consider this? to let God speak to you in this and to receive this covenant relationship that God has offered us in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you would open wide our heart, our hearts, to be able to see in a fresh way what you really established for us in Christ not just a free ticket out of punishment, but a genuine communion and union with the living God, which is the desire of our hearts. So shape us by this reality. Change our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.